Cole is for pussies. In honor of Krampus, what's the scariest moment from a holiday movie? I'm Katie Rich, and just the mental image of Phoebe Cates' monologue about her dad dying in the chimney on Christmas in Gremlins has really stuck with me. Oh, that's a good one. Hey, it's me, Dave of the Seven, but for me, it's the second time Kevin gets left home alone because it's the second time, and it's in New York, and I think that kid dies in every circumstance because of child abuse. <laughs> Sad. Uh, I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with the transition, very specifically the transition from the ghost of Christmas present to the ghost of Christmas future in Robert Zemeckis' 2009 Christmas Carol, because when uh, present... He falls dead on the floor and then decays into a pile of bones, and he's laughing the whole time. What the fuck? Also, the eyes are all dead in that movie, it's which is really scary. Super scary. Super scary. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good. Then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 98 for Tuesday, December 1st, 2015, entering the final month of the year of our Time Lord, Dr. Emmett Brown. Uh, this week, David isn't with us, and uh, we don't have any new reviews, at least from our American iTunes Yes, store I think there's share. a uh, plethora of reviews waiting to be read from our international listeners who I've been telling on Twitter to screen cap them and send them to us, although I think we can access them by doing a little URL. Yeah, I think David prepped. figured out how to do that. Yeah. We'll, we'll make him return in glory. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, tell a friend that you like this podcast. Spread the word. You uh, you know, people talk about it on Twitter. It's kind of, we see people talking about things that they like like on the internet but tell someone in real life reach out and touch someone yeah tis it's the season way. to gift yeah. something why, why not give someone the gift of a free podcast <laughs> yeah the gift I would of an say angry review, discussion review episodes are good are good places for movies you've seen maybe or yeah. we have a section of quarter quells which are all podcasts about us if you need to get to know us Those and you are think hard that your friends would start, actually like that. Don't you think? I'm not sure about that. No? I mean, uh, some of our ones about like picking movies, you get four good movies, get discussion on those movies, learn a little bit of us. I think it's good. That's true. Litmus test. Will yeah, you Yeah, or uh, you know, listen to crazy. a review of a given superhero movie from this year just to uh you know, really get a wide swath of opinions. <laughs> Although, from there. Dave, I think earlier on Twitter uh, this weekend you were telling someone to go listen to your mom's episode. Of our podcast. Kumail Nanjiani, because he said my mom was a bad podcast ca- guest. <laughs> I don't think he was specifically calling her mom out. She shouldn't Everything Kumail tweets is directly to me. Oh. He, doesn't, he doesn't know. Well, that everyone sounds can, like uh, a, something you should get diagnosed, Dave. Yeah, everyone, everyone <laughs> should tweet at Kumail and tell him to listen to Dave's mom's episode of our podcast, which Dave has linked to. So go to Dave's Twitter and you'll find sorry, it. Sorry in advance, Kumail. So over Thanksgiving, I don't know why this happened over Thanksgiving. I think they leaked and they decided to just no, tweet it, them out. No, it, it happened on like it happened on like Tuesday. Gotcha. Oh wait, so so not quite over Thanksgiving. It all blurred together for me in my holiday stupor. Uh, anyway, what we're talking about is the Indie Spirit Awards, the film independent organization's little pre-Oscars. For the little guys ceremony, uh, they announced their nominations for this year. Kind of the first big awards. 
season announcement, I would say. You know, the Gotham, the Gotham the Awards, Gotham Awards yeah. is a thing, I guess. It's it's kind of smaller and doesn't seem that consequential to the real Oscar race, whereas the Sp- Spirit Awards definitely highlight some of the really small films of the year and, of course, some of the ones that are going to sneak into the Oscar race in the end. Although what I like about this year's crop of uh, nominations is it, it seems a little more indier. Uh, the the definition, or at least film independence definition of what is an independent film and what they're going to honor, has really shifted over the years. As yeah, as more David and more Russell films have become independent, to, uh, sh- David O. Russell has managed to show up in these awards in the last couple of years in a way that doesn't feel quite right. Yeah, it's frightening. Although he is nowhere to be found with his movie Joy, and I, they may not have seen Joy. Maybe that's a st- oh yeah okay, so they haven't seen it perhaps or. It's a studio movie, actually. I don't know what the qualifications. It's very, very tricky. Um, but what is represented this year is quite cool. Uh, the best features include Animalisa, Beast of No Nation, Carol, Spotlight, and uh, one of my favorite movies of the year, Tangerine, which I think we've talked about on this podcast before, shot on an iPhone. Uh, it's about two um, transgendered women uh, kind of roaming LA, uh, and it's it's hilarious. It's terrifying. It's a really fun movie, and I'm glad that it's going to get some shout-outs at the Spirit Awards this year. But I wanted to turn to you guys. Was there anything that stood out uh, in in terms of the nominations, Katie, you lead another podcast. It's all about awards, so I'm I'm sure you have a take. Here. Yeah, we uh, haven't even talked about these yet, but I I mean I for me this kind of operates as a list of films that I might not have caught yet that I feel like I need to catch up with because of these nominations. Like I haven't seen It Follows, which I'm too scared to see, but may suck it up and actually see because it got nominated for Best Director. I'm clicking through the nominations. The Spirit Awards website is not well laid out, so I'm going to miss some things as I click through all of this. Yeah, it's got um, a crappy PDF view if you want to grab all of them. Yeah, But I, I guess you guys have probably seen more of these than I have, even though I'm pretty close, or at least the opportunities I had, I had to see them. So I guess, Katie, if you're using them as a catch-up, I really need some help focusing because I need to. I need to also catch up. Well, and haven't even seen the breath. Well, there's a there's a movie called Diary of a Teenage Girl that I think you would like, Dave. Uh, that is nominated for a best first feature and best female lead. As far as I can tell, it might be for something else. Um, that is kind of it's based on a graphic novel and it's this coming of age story set in '70s San Francisco. The girl who stars in it, Belle Powley, is kind of this breakthrough star who no one's seen in anything before, um, and she's really great. I mean, that's something that. I saw last weekend because I caught up it on a screener. So uh, same goes with James White, which is a movie I'd heard people talking about since Sundance, I think. Have you that, seen it? Uh, yeah, I watched that on a screener last weekend as well. Um, okay, wait. We need I, to pause on James White for a second because Cynthia Nixon is extraordinary in this yes, movie. Yes. Well, this is what I was going to say. The movie itself I'm kind of iffy on, but I think Cynthia, Cynthia Nixon is really amazing. And she got nominated for Best Supporting Female, which I think is exactly the kind of thing that this movie should be singled out for. Do you for, think and it's that she that puts it on the radar. can sneak into the Oscars with that? I mean, I really <sighs> think that I she... Know. I watched She's this great. movie, and I, I was like you. I'm kind of like so-so on the whole thing. It's kind of brooding, you know, rich white guy story. Not really my cup of tea. Um, and it's re- it really pounds certain beats home. It's just so sad. Um, but Cynthia Nixon plays this mother who has cancer, and she is just, you know, it's very tender. It's very honest and uh, she's so brilliant in it and i it, it just speaks to everything that she's done in the past too she is an amazing performer and we get to see more of her if if you're into new york theater and that sort of thing but i don't know it would be amazing to see her kind of get into the oscars because i just yeah. think it's really a, a, a kind of tremendous tiny this, performance 
And the Spirit Awards nomination is the kind of thing that can make that possible. So you really never know. I can't. I, I feel like I can't say off the top of my head whether or not that's possible. But it's like that's the kind of thing that a Spirit Award brings attention to it. And then all of a sudden you start hearing a campaign going for something. I mean, Patricia Arquette won last year for Boyhood, which is a tiny movie. So really anything is possible. That is true. There's another performance that got nominated that I hope – I mean, it's not going to do Oscar business at all, which I guess that's why I'm happy the Spirit Awards exist. And that's Kevin Corrigan in Results. Have you seen Results? No. And I – like when I saw that he was on there, I couldn't even think of what he was nominated for. So that's that's another great, Yes, it's uh, lovely. Moment. And it's on Netflix, so everyone can probably watch that. It's, it's um, a very – tiny little I wouldn't call it a mumblecore but this is Andrew Bachowski um, doing his like little character you know one thing happens and spirals everyone's lives in different directions and Kevin Corrigan plays this kind of like oafish millionaire who moves to town and doesn't know what to do with his money and Kobe Smulders is his personal trainer and they have a thing and then Guy Pierce is there and they have a thing and it's all <laughs> very funny and Kevin Corrigan is just so I don't know. I found him very moving and very hilarious, and I've always liked him as kind of side characters. I think I feel like he's the side character in every gangster movie, um, <laughs> and now he gets to play a real character with dimension and, and be really funny. So I was glad to see him get nominated too. Yeah, and then there's things like Richard Jenkins being nominated for Bone Tomahawk, a movie that I had no idea I needed to see. People love it. Um, I'm okay. and uh, yeah, we were like Richard Jenkins. I'm not going to argue with that. Or um. There's so kind of actually in a different direction. I'm now switching topics, but there's a lot of nominations for Beast of No Nation, which patches I think you pointed out what felt like it was kind of like had just had come and gone, like it had had its moment, didn't really do anything. The box office was bad, but at, as I think we talked about at the time, like whoever well, expected Dave, a movie on Dave, Netflix, did you watch it on Netflix office. at all? I didn't happen to do Beast of No Nations on Netflix. No, but I don't think it's, you're alone was, there. I don't think many people have. If I was going to guess, I, but. The thing that I ran across, uh, like, having moved is with Netflix releases, it's like, if I'm not talking with one of you guys or in a bar with somebody, I miss entire release things until, like, the buzz is over. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think I missed all of, uh, like, with Bob and David, like, going up and all of a sudden... Everyone did. I hear it. no one talking about it. It's crazy. Yeah, it, it's weird. And the same thing happened to me with Beasts of No Nation, where I, by the time I realized it was up, it was reading reactions about how it had kind of come and gone. Well, that, that's why I'm so surprised, you know, I think when we, Katie, you and I saw this movie at Toronto that we mm-hmm. thought... Um, Abraham Atta, who is the kid that uh, Kerry Fukunaga kind of discovered and cast in this movie, he's pretty phenomenal in it. It's just, you know, our POV throughout this cacophony of, of war. It's very scary. And he does a tremendous job there. Um, and that he maybe could get nominated to be one of these youngsters in the, in the best actor crowd. Who knows? The kid um, from Room. He would probably be the best thunder. supporting actors. Uh, I don't know. I can't imagine. I feel like Idris gets the best actor. Uh, push no, just out of seniority. They're, they're, no, they're doing it the opposite direction because gotcha. that well, kid that, is highly unlikely to be nominated. Yeah. So they're just pushing that's, Elba that's for Well, he'll he'll make the the award season rounds anyway and kind of get a bump. He'll yeah, probably I mean, be I'll be voting next weekend in the category that includes Breakthrough Performer. But I'll definitely be on my ballot. I feel like this movie has come and gone in a way. I don't see Idris Elba making it in the final cut. He's, first off, not very good in the movie, I don't think. Mm, uh, he's, mm, he's kind of the most disagree. disappointing aspect of it. And I don't know. You you have your your fingers on the pulse of the Oscars the most. So does this? Well, like uh, when you're saying it's come and gone, like I think this Spirit Award nomination is a big thing for it. Like even if it doesn't get any Oscar nominations, this is still really good. This is exactly no. This the is kind not enough. Spirit should be. Re- I don't think. It, I mean, who says it's not enough? Well, for for Netflix, I mean. 
I mean, maybe not for Netflix. Like, I think, you know, their first big push in an Oscar race, I guess that could be seen as a disappointment. But this is major recognition by a major awards-giving body. And this, I mean, it really does have the indie spirit. Like, this was independently made before True Detective even came on the air. Carrie Fukunaga was the guy who'd made Jane Eyre. Um, And some people took a gamble and financed it for him. And it got released in this really, you know, groundbreaking, interesting way that may or may not have been a success. So... Yeah, it's gotten the perfect kind of recognition for it, and an Oscar nomination would be gravy if it happens. And you know, maybe this gives them a push to head in that direction. Fair. Netflix fair. has a ton of money. Why? Why do? They can spend it. Why do I feel the same way about Room? All of a sudden, why do I feel like Room is past its prime? Like it's not part of the conversation. Nah. And and Brie Larson got nominated for Room and in, in Best Actress, uh, obviously. Like that seems like a total given um, for A twenty four and and the just amount they've been for- pushing it. But it just feels like it's. Maybe it's taking its break. Wait for Brie Larson to start winning a bunch of critics awards, and then it's you think it'll happen over again? Yeah, I okay. think so. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's the kind of that's the kind of movie that seems to have a resurgence the closer like people start recognizing it, even if it's not Oscar recognizing it. Like I could see Room coming back more than a lot of these movies. More than like the Danish Girl. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> well, I didn't know Danish Girl, which was not eligible for the Indies. I didn't know. Series, I didn't so. know if Carol would just steamroll Room. Out of the room. I don't, know, well, I don't know why Carol would preclude Room. I mean, Room is such an emotional movie. It hits people in a really specific well, way. Well, when you're talking about talk critics' about groups voting and when we talk about the indie spirits and like yeah, what's really going like, to prevail. Yeah, but like, I mean, there's plenty of room for people. Room. Huh, room. room. Uh, ah. For people to should, acknowledge both in their critics' groups. Like maybe Kate Blanchett will win more Best Actress prizes. I kind of don't think she will. Um, but I don't know. There's room for everybody. Room for Room. That's the sign. I have- Not room for everybody, but... At least for both of those films. I have a specific question, which is Spotlight. How much do I need to zero in on this movie? See, Spotlight, it's so good. <laughs> well, there there so that you was go. Was that, was, that your, was that your question? Put the spotlight on Spotlight. Well, I mean, I heard a lot of good things coming out of it when it premiered, and maybe maybe it cooled just from the places I had my ear to the ground with, but I, I, was, I was just wondering if I need to prioritize it higher than everything else on this list. I mean, it's not the kind of movie that there's a whole lot to talk about once you... I mean, like, it's really good and really satisfying, and it's hard to come out of it not telling other people to go see it, but... Like, there's not, like, controversy to it. It's not like a, I don't know, you're not going to be like, how did they pull off that shot? Like, it's super straightforward, really good filmmaking. Um, the, I, I also think it has staying power in award season. It's got, the, I think, the best acting ensemble of the year by far of what I've seen. The other thing is, now now that the indie spirits are out, you people basically have, like, a what-to-stream list for the next mm-hmm. two months. You know, most of these movies are on VOD. Netflix, Spotlight is not. Somewhere. Spotlight and Carol and... Annalisa are probably the only ones that aren't. Yeah, Room, I guess, these kind of heavy hitters. But there's so, you know, everything in the John Cassavetes Award category is, is just, like, ready for you to devour on iTunes or whatever. And um, I don't know. You know, people are always asking, what the hell am I go- should I watch, you know? And and this is a total, like, all the movies, I think, this year that were nominated are, are pretty damn terrific. There are no, you know, Oscar no, holdovers just- that just weaseled their way in. No, this is a really but good I, list. You know, one thing I was surprised about, just to wrap up here, is the best documentary category, I think, is kind of not wide open when it comes to the Oscars, but a little mystifying that there aren't heavier contenders. Um, and I was surprised because I think Amy is probably going to go all the way this year. I think Amy might not have been eligible for the Indie Spirit. That's what I was they're wondering. Very, they're heavy on um, American productions, and I think well, Amy might be Well, the British. look of silence, I'm not sure, is an American. But Joshua Oppenheimer is American. 
Is he? I thought he was... Uh, I think he's American. German. Well, whatever the case is, I was glad to see Look of Silence get some love there. The other documentaries are very good, too. Best of Enemies. Uh, Russian Woodpecker is very good. But Look of Silence is such a devastating, moving experience that will not get... I, I don't even know if it will get nominated for the Oscar this year. Uh, the way... Um, Oh, God, I'm totally blanking. Act of Killing? Yeah, The Act of Killing was, uh, which, you know, people thought, oh, this has a shot. This is a tremendous documentary. But I don't, you know, Look of Silence, I think I like even more. And it doesn't have a shot. It's not in the conversation at all. No one saw it. No one Look of Silence? I don't know. I think it's going to win a ton of critics awards. And then there's not really, other than Amy, there's not really another big documentary. People are rallying behind. The Michael Moore movie isn't doing anything. So you got to have five nominees. It's going to stay in that long. There you go. And uh, but then the act of killing lost to twenty feet from stardom, so maybe history will repeat itself, and a music documentary will beat the uh, Joshua Oppenheimer. <laughs> and really, really to conclude this, where is she rock? That's what I want to know. That is my big question about the Spirit Awards. I thought it was a independent film. David has seen it. None of us have seen it. I don't believe, but I'm very excited for Spike Lee's new movie. And I was surprised. I was surprised that there wasn't more diversity on this list. But you know, Tangerine wonder- feels like. Yeah, pretty seriously. But she when was the last time Spike Lee got nominated for an anything? <laughs> um, <laughs> probably in the early 2000s, I would imagine. But we'll have to look up that fact. Anyway, the Indie Spirit Awards, uh, they're happening, and the nominations are out. Uh, talk to us about them. This weekend uh, marks the season two premiere of Transparent, the Amazon series that you probably heard of. Jeffrey Tambor won an Emmy and a Golden Globe for it. It's uh, made by Jill Soloway, who directed a movie Neither Patches or I liked very much at Sundance, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's called Afternoon Delight. But a lot of other people did, and she's gone on to make this, I think, really incredible TV series. And I've watched the first five episodes of the new season, and it's super great. It's got the show is getting even more ambitious in its second season. It's still about the same family and uh, kind of the same neuroses in very Los Angeles, but uh, they're kind of incorporating this family's history in this really interesting way, and I haven't seen it pay off yet, but they uh, in the first episode, there's kind of a flashback to Weimar-era Berlin in a way that I don't, want to, I don't really want to spoil like how that gets incorporated, but you kind of see that happen and you're like, wow, okay, they are operating, they are kind of going for ambition in this way that maybe even you wouldn't expect from the first season of the show. Uh, the cast remains great. Jeffrey Tambor is still really great, but even like he's kind of not as important in this season as he was to the last one, I think. Like Mara's transition is a little bit more complete. Like there's still plenty going on for her, but the kids are kind of taking the forefront. Jay Duplass, the... Duplass brother, I think fewer people recognize, is really great. Um, and he and Catherine Hahn, Catherine Hahn, who was a star of Afternoon Delight, that, uh, and now she's kind of taken up a bigger role as the rabbi girlfriend of uh, J.D. Duplass's son character. Um, they're really great to watch together. And there's just like, there's great guest stars, like Annie Mumolo shows up once or twice, like Cherry Jones, who uh, is a big New York theater actress, shows up. There's like, I don't know, they're the show feels so crazy that it exists. It feels really cinematic. It's so singular and really... It's great to have something that's this good to watch that's about 22 minutes long that you can kind of dive in and dive back out of, which I've been doing as I've been plowing through a huge pile of screeners. Um, I think it's... I haven't watched much of Master of None, but I think it might operate in the same way where it's short and smart and really easy to watch, but really satisfying because it's so good. 
So transparent. But catch up on season one if you haven't. I was about to say, that's what I need to do. I still have not finished Yeah, I mean, one. you you like don't need to see it to f- start on season why two. Why would I, I not want imagine. to see it? Yeah, exactly. I don't know why you wouldn't just watch season one because season one's really great too. And season two will be there for you whenever you're ready to right. watch it. Um, and it shouldn't feel so overwhelming that like... What do you think Jill Soloway gets so right and transparent that she seemed to get so wrong in oh, man. her movie? I'd like... I think the scope of Transparent and the way that it's telling all these different people's stories, and that was my big problem with Afternoon Delight. That movie I now saw several years ago, so I might be misrepresenting it, but it felt really limited in its perspective and especially its understanding of the uh, Juno Temple stripper character. Um, and Transparent is really generous with all of its characters. It's introducing people and kind of seeing everyone from different angles, which is something I think Afternoon Delight tried to do but couldn't really That's get at. And the longer storytelling of TV makes that easier to get at. I'm I getting think. more like fed up with our our television and the prolonged nature of these stories these over the overlong nature of these stories and you know we talked a little about jessica jones oh if it only had been like nine or ten episodes maybe it could have condensed Hmm. its story and really cracked it in the 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 perfect way um but i was watching i was watching a woman in gold catching up with that film from earlier this year with helen mirren and ryan reynolds about should i watch this movie (laughs) well i i described it after seeing it as kind of like a great episode of a of a procedural television show that only has one episode, thank God. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I don't want to see the further adventures of these two characters like solving more crimes. No, this is just the one case. It's going to be an hour and 45 minutes long. They're going to be real tight for two seconds, and it's going to be very nice. Everything kind of works out, but it's a great historical look at, uh, you know, World War II and uh, Nazis stealing art and representing that and coming back to the present and you know, cracking the law to get these paintings back. Really fun. Um, but I wouldn't want to see any more of it. And it could be a television series, but thank God it's not. And I'm like, yes, this is like, this is where so many television so- series go wrong because, oh, we could take these great characters. We could take this historical angle. And why wouldn't we just do a case a week with this format? Um, and then yet, Jill Soloway kind of what tries... I wanted, uh, what? Kind of what I wanted Man in the High Castle to be. Right. You know, I watched Probably like, a great movie. Episodes. And I was like, I would no, I, I kind of want it to be like a week by week procedural oh. in Nazi run America, <laughs> like well, different yeah. characters every time. And then yeah, then we have the divide between serialized and just like week to week, case of the week kind of stuff. And you wish, do you know, we? I I do yeah. want more oh, case of the boy. week television. But then then you have Jill Soloway who you know really cut her teeth on week to week. Like well, Six Feet Under was obviously serialized television, um, but she well, did but a lot of network Under- stuff. Six Feet Under worked in a way that I think Transparent does too, where it's like it's serialized and it's telling a continuing story, but it's not, it, it's not driven in that way that I haven't watched Jessica Jones. So that's a bad example, but you know, well, like it can be a sitcom, it can have a one-off. Like yeah, this is what exactly. we're going to accomplish. Just talking about crafting your stakes to match your story, which right. like with a show like Transparency, it sounds like if you're getting into all these rounded characters, that's integral to you understanding the basic premise of the show that I understand it having not ever seen it whereas like case to case that's fine but really you're just coming back to see the same setup and any sort of like you're you're going back for the familiar characters and the 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 funness and it's the evolution's really slow and so it feels drawn out so I think I think your wants and needs are counterintuitive patches yeah well so Jill Soloway's Afternoon Delight as Katie was mentioning is is probably a sitcom waiting to happen, happen, uh, but it ends up being, you know, really thinly drawn characters with nothing to do, uh, stretched over an hour and a half. Like, 
cut into chunks, make it a television series. It's the one instance where I thought, yes. I mean, is, I think that's is... kind of what she's done. I mean, right, exactly. Transparent is about a very different group of characters, but I think that's kind of what she's done. And it's, uh, yeah, it's so incredibly satisfying to watch. And uh, I don't know, maybe you should, maybe people should watch it with their families over the holidays. Aw. When does it come back uh-huh. exactly? It, uh, December 4th, Friday. And uh, all of it is available on Amazon Prime, which, uh, you know, you also get th- things shipped to you quickly. So everybody wins. This year, the year of our time, Lord Dr. Abbott Brown 2015, has seen an unusual amount of movies that have opened to more than 2,000 theaters <laughs> that have crashed and burned. So that would be a wide opening by definition of us and box office mojo. And uh, that just, just didn't do well. Victor Frankenstein this weekend is the newest entry in uh, the horrible flop group, making uh, under $2.5 million And to be in- clear... The uh, the re- sorry the uh, the reason this wide release thing is important is because you know people will open their random vanity project at the Quad Theater in New York City on one screen and it will make eighty dollars because only their friends and family will see it. But the wide release thing means that like someone is backing it and like putting legitimate money into right. it. Right, according like, to totally. according to Box Office Mojo, there are uh, one to six hundred thirty six movies on their domestic gross list this year, and two hundred and one is a movie I've never heard of going keep going down, and you know. Small movies. We were talking about Tangerine. That's on there. That made that only made seven hundred thousand dollars. But like, that's not a failure. That's probably very successful for a movie shot on an iPhone. Uh, right. So it's actually well, we Victor Frankenstein. Talk, yeah, Victor we, Frankenstein. yeah. We talked about like uh, Steve Jobs earlier as like a movie that was platforming, which is like the other option for like these larger prestige films, and looked like it was going to make a lot of money, but then it didn't. That is completely different than something like Gem and the Holograms, which opened wide to be the new teenage sensation, and then basically got pulled from theaters uh, because it just was unable to find any traction with its audience. It was made for five million dollars and. Won- not make back its budget which is crazy that is crazy also three movies gem and the holograms rock the casbah bill murray's recent movie and uh zach efron's edm movie we are your friends all three of those only made they all made under two million dollars um but rank in the top or bottom 10 of wide releases uh domestic grosses which is kind of astonishing for all time uh, for yeah. all time for all time yeah. so there's they oogie loves only... at number one uh dago <laughs> that like weird delgo. Dino- delgo yeah that weird dinosaur movie uh for some reason saw 10th anniversary screening because it opened in more than 2000 screens gets uh takes the third place on that list and then three movies from this year that's crazy yeah that is really crazy and the only thing that i could find at least in the the main lists from 2014 is that uh, 10th anniversary so it's like this isn't a usual thing where every year we put a few more flops into the pile this year is uh, unusually bad right. although 
with the exception of Gem and the Holograms, because that was sort of an X factor where like every once in a while something stupid like that'll work. Like we keep getting Alvin and the Chipmunks movies, even though I would have mm-hmm. told you after that first preview was stupid. Like I'm kind of surprised that Victor Frankenstein and Rock the Casbah bombed as hard as they did. Now, well, that's kind of the that's why I was kind of trying to work on a theory for what this all means, because like. What to me this proves is that like you can't just throw some random garbage into a theater and someone will show up to see it because there's just too many other things to see in the world like Jessica Jones or Transparent or whatever that video game out Fallout 4 is that the thing? Yeah, that's um, a game. But <laughs> nice. then like bur- like Burnt which as far as I knew nobody saw and nobody cared about made 13 million dollars which still isn't very good but is way more progress. Or like the secret in their eyes made fourteen million dollars. Handed to stars. So, the like, star system is now dead. Yeah, but like Bill Murray's a star. I don't is Bill Murray. Zach a star? Efron is Zach Efron was in Neighbors, which was a now, very big hit. I think that at least the case study for me with Gem the Holograms and We Are Your Friends being total bombs are just the shift in audience Youths. attention. Yeah. So Youths. I mean EDM, of course you make an EDM movie. This is obvious. You make a movie out of every musical genre. If something peaks, if something is huge with the kids, you make that. Or you did. There were two Lombada movies that opened against each other. Right, exactly, exactly. (laughs) See Vanity Fair for the full story. Um, But so, yeah, this is a totally logical on paper movie to make. But the EDM audience. Watches YouTube, watches club. Vines, what, yeah, is is trancing in their bedrooms, <laughs> watching YouTube videos of is EDM that what the shit. kids call it these they're days? Trancing. Trancing. They're trancing, trancing in their bedroom. Listen, I know all about trancing in bedrooms. Trust me. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're not going to the theaters, and I think that's a huge thing here. It's not about Zac Efron, who was doesn't he didn't seem to be the star of this movie. EDM was the star of this movie, and that was not a selling point for people. Uh, I still think it's it's not niche because the concerts. I mean, the, the amount of money that EDM generates is is colossal. But uh, well, it like it looks like I didn't see it, but like to me, it looks like an EDM movie the way that Point Break is a surfing movie. Like it's an element of a story that you're gonna well, go see I, whether or not you're. From all accounts, yes, I still haven't seen it yet. It is sitting on my desk in front of me, so I'm embarrassed to say I've had the chance to watch it and haven't. But by all accounts. I sent my EDM expert at Esquire to see this movie, (laughs) and he's like, this movie is EDM. And I'm like, bro, what are you talking about? He's like, bro, this is EDM. You know, it just has nothing, nothing, nothing drop, nothing nothing drop. Yes, exactly. It's it's moving like one of the EDM songs, and it's really just about the experience. But do you want to sit in a theater and watch that? People go to EDM concert to, like rub up against each other and hear it drop and like get crazy um that is not what you do in a movie i am an old man trancing in the bedroom damn it (laughs) anyway let's Uh, talk about gem and the holograms which i have a lot more expertise on well yeah and i mean dave you are seeing much fewer of these uh limited release movies and i don't know like do you have any different perspective on this than you did when you were seeing random shit open up the quad um, uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, if for whatever reason, like each one of these movies when they came out was countered by something adult that uh, I think stole a lot of its thunder. Well, Rock uh, the Casbah arguably was adult, so fair, fair enough. But like Rock the Casbah didn't that hit like right in the middle of the Martian, like having unbelievable staying something power like for no that. reason? Yeah. But it seems like, uh, I mean, something like The Martian, which is, like, totally not for everybody. And, like, you're not going to take the We Are Your Friends crowd to The Martian, like, doing so well. It's like, maybe we, we're we not necessarily, I don't know. I want to say, like, reclaiming the cinema from the youth. 
but that's a sort of a... So, like, maybe we're not as stratified as audiences as we, people think we are, and, like, having an all-audience people-pleaser is still really important? Well, like I think Martian? we... I think uh, we managed to. The, the weird thing is, like the, the the teenage culture now is the same culture that I think barely kept like three D animated movies in theaters uh, when they really didn't have to. Like there'd be a time where it'd be like there's an Ice Age three or an Ice Age four that like wouldn't even register on most people's release schedules, but would do amazing box office because uh-huh. you have to take the kids to something. Mm-hmm. And we're getting minions for that for like the really small kids, but there isn't. There's like a gap, an interest gap in what we've been able to show movies for people that like really only horror has been able to pick up and it's been able to make a whole bunch of money off of that but like i don't know we are your friends like hangout movies and gem and the holograms and victor frankenstein i think is finally the end of like the i don't know sort of uh, weird reimagining for reimagining's sake hopefully but oh, well, I, I said that uh, with i frankenstein are you sure too, about that so. aren't that isn't universal launching their yeah, monster, monster franchise movie, uh, soon. You're the expert. And also, uh, what is it? Pride and Prejudice and Zombies coming next year? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't oh, expect okay. that one to be blowing up the box office necessarily. Well, let's hope that one's an adaptation of a book and the other is, uh, I don't know, the Universal mo- Monster Movie franchise. It really, really scares me. But, I mean, okay, sorry, Dave. Go ahead. Oh, no. But then there's things like, uh, like Black Hat on this list, which were targeted at that sort of gap that i'm talking about that you know also failed so i think it's like a i don't know a late teens mid-20s interest gap yeah yeah what's happening to the older like the older those people are the ones who powered jurassic world and fast and furious 7 and you know various of the other like this this box office year has been really huge and had some enormous hits but to me like the failure of these smaller movies of anything other than just like the biggest event of all time just to me indicates that the speed of Hollywood is so incompatible with being able to keep up what people are interested in, like making an EDM movie for people who are trancing in their bed. Right. I think that is YouTube. You're, you're spot on that the EDM movie comes too late. It's uh, it's dropping after the beat. <laughs> or just it's like it's like those people are just not going to want to see a movie like that's just not. The way that movies work is not going to interest them. Yeah, but like, who who is seeing the movie then? Because I think people I mean, are constantly gonna, like, talking I mean, about. I think those people probably went to see The Martian, but like a movie about EDM just didn't make any sense to right, them. Right, absolutely. Probably shouldn't have made any sense to the studio. I'm, I'm just shocked that you know people make a stink about, and my mother is included in this, so I'm damning my mother here a little bit because she's like, why Jeez, don't Mom. people make movies for me? And we hear our colleagues say it all the time, you know. There are so many essays. I was just rereading uh, Mark Harris's essay, The Birdcage, from Grantland. I think that was actually earlier this year because it was coming around the Oscars. But, you know, that is kind of damning towards the whole superhero movie movement and, like, planning seven years ahead with your mega franchises, to use Dave's word, um, and is very much like, goodbye, old school Hollywood, where we're making movies of all different... Colors and sizes, uh, and playing in drama and comedy and doing everything, you know, it's going to be locked and loaded for the next hundred years. We know exactly what we're going to get. Um, but then you you have movies like Our Brand is Crisis, The Walk, Black Hat, even Mordecai, like, kooky movie, um, you know, throwback comedy. No one was giving it a chance, first off. And okay, then these movies but, are disasters. They're doing poorly. So you're saying that movies aimed toward older, like, mature audiences are doing as badly as everything else? Worse. 
They're doing worse. Well, okay, but then I'm looking at something like A Walk in the Woods, which is the highest grossing Sundance pickup in years. It made $29 million at the box office. Ricky Jesus and the Flash Christ. didn't do so bad for itself. Ex Machina did all right for itself. Like, I'll see you in my dreams is kind of a big example of Well, Ex Machina, is, I don't think, hit. is really fair because it's playing right, in fine. genre, so it has... Okay, how about Mr. Holmes, the Ian McKellen show? Like, like, there are these movies that are made for these adult audiences. I mean, Spotlight is doing really well right now. Truth is... Like, now is a great time if you're... Your mom to be going to see movies and the limited release thing makes it difficult for everyone to have access to it but i think that kind of the uh, the older audience appealing thing with the exception of rock the casbah is something that's working for people mm. if like if you dare to make a movie that doesn't cost a hundred million dollars that's kind of your best bet so maybe that's it maybe maybe what we're looking at is not a gap of interest or subject it's a gap of budget so yeah. like because they're not throwing, I don't know if throwing five million more dollars at Mordecai would have helped, but because they didn't <laughs> do that, it's only going to get, you know, released a certain way. It's only going to look a certain way. And like maybe the concept isn't, uh, you know, small concept movie. Maybe we've lost the small concept movie. I mean, I'll see you in my dreams is a pretty small concept movie. It just, uh, you know, it hit its proper audience. And I, I can't explain why that did and Ricky and the Flash didn't. I didn't see Ricky and the Flash. Um, but, I mean, these, these movies have potential and they have the audiences that are going to be bothering to go to theaters and not saying I'm playing Fallout 4. I can't get over A Walk in the Woods. I know. Isn't that crazy? $29 million. <laughs> to be fair, Woman in Gold, the movie I was talking about in the minisegment, yeah. also made $33 billion. Weinstein yeah. Cody movie. Uh, would, would the Age of Adeline that. made a decent amount of money. That that is the ninety nine cent rental right now. I would highly recommend people go get it. Age of Adeline. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and uh, Bridge of Spies is at sixty seven million dollars right now. Like, there's this stuff works when when it works. But I mean, there's no. It's not an exact science, which is why people are paid much more than we ever. Are, yeah, but so I do think. This stuff out. I mean, there is a difference between. Uh, uh, the Age of Adeline, Women in Gold, uh, Walk of the Woods, these movies compared to the, the flopping ones that I was mentioning, I think Black Hat and The Walk. And Dave, you hit it on the head. Like These movies are, are bloated. They're trying to be more than they need to be. They're almost trying to emulate the blockbusters to get to convince people to come see them. Even our brand is crisis has a big action scene in the middle. You always wonder is like, why, why is this here? Does this need to be happening? Uh, is this just for the trailer? But I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly why these movies don't seem to click with people. And perhaps because they're all coming out at the wrong time. The walk thinks it's an Oscar movie. Our brand is crisis thinks it's an Oscar movie Would that movie. I've done better in February when we're all kind of dying or March. Yeah. Uh, or in some, or in limited release. Like I think the wide release gambit is, has hurt a lot right. of these, like, you know, letting people discover our brand is crisis. A movie I think is pretty good. Um, might've worked a lot better yeah, than blanketing the country. A walk in the it. woods came out in the beginning of September. That's, Came out Labor Day weekend, which is like the worst weekend of the year usually. Right when all these when all these movies were about to fail, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Gem and the Holograms, Rock the Casbah came back came out on the same day in October in a much busier time. Maybe maybe the the thinking here is finally people will start kind of squeezing these adult dramas in across the year, as you're saying. You're you're feeling the rush here at the end of. All these uh, watch it with your dad, watch it with your mom, watch it with your family movies uh, because finally there's an adult there's adult entertainment out there and it's always yeah. a race to the end in November December but these movies yeah, that are like, really I, excelling are March or June I, or September I think I think this movie is doing fine for itself but there's no reason that Brooklyn couldn't have opened in March 
Uh, it premiered at Sundance. It got really great reviews there. It's this really lovely, wonderful movie, and I think it's going to do well, but it really could have been in the spring to kind of fill that gap. Yeah, no one seems to be seeing Brooklyn, but everyone seems to think that Brooklyn is destined for Oscars. What the, what's I think the deal? People are seeing, I think people are seeing Brooklyn. How are you bringing this back to Oscars? I couldn't see Brooklyn in Brooklyn. What the fuck? I can see Brooklyn here. We gave Brooklyn an award here at the Denver Film Festival. Wow. Well, good thing you left Brooklyn so you could see yes, Brooklyn. That's right. I learned so much more about Brooklyn. Brooklyn think, has made uh, $7.2 million since opening on well, November not, 4th. That's not too bad. No. You know, Looking at these yeah. wide releases that have flopped, the only thing I could tell from 2015 is we might be done with Max Landis finally. That's sad oh, because wow. American, American Ultra is down here too. American Ultra is a good movie. It's... <laughs> I, what? American Ultra <laughs> is a good movie. It's very I romantic. Really, I totally forgot American Ultra came out this year. Victor Frankenstein. I mean, I'm all for a pot comedy with those two because Adventureland was fantastic. But well, we're not done with him completely action. because he is a movie in the bank. He directed a film that'll be coming out soon. Jesse Eisenberg or Max Landis? Max Landis. Oh, okay. Jesse Eisenberg will never be done with. I don't know why Jesse you would Eisenberg want to be done is with uh, Lex Luthor. We got a lot to look forward to from that guy. I think we can all be thankful. This holiday season, that the Duff made thirty-four million dollars. That I need. To, I should just like fuck award screeners. I just need to watch the Duff, don't Go I? Go on the Duff. Get the Duff. That's when Katie gave up on awards. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Oscars. You'll be ready for your you know voting, what? your critics' voting circle. Well, actually, the uh, Critics' Choice Awards has a best comedy category. So, is the Duff up for it? I mean, if if I nominate it, do it. So of these of this this list of uh of the the worst openings is the is there one besides uh, uh American Ultra patches you think that I should I should give a chance of the worst? worst openings of all time or Well I mean of all time seems to be easy because who doesn't want to see all dogs go to heaven too again but <laughs> from this year specifically like I'm kind of ki- I kind of want to see Gem of the Holograms it seems like a I train wreck of that too, size honestly. I'm it's worth is worth taking uh, taking. I can't a, pretend to want to see the walk. Dave? I did not see the walk. Oh. I didn't want to. That trailer made my palms sweat. In it made 3D. my palms sweat too, which made me intrigued. Oh, see, that's interesting. Yeah, I can handle like fear of height. Like I don't like being like startled and scared in a horror movie, but that kind of like something I know is. Well, that's probably the reason it failed too. Yeah, it probably is. But I don't know, Dave. Your interest in technology. Uh, I don't know. I feel like you you should give that a shot, but not not seeing it on a big screen is kind of weird. Well, I mean, like throw back to uh, Patches's lightning round question answer. I've been led down the check out the technology from Robert Zemeckis <laughs> road too many times. You've been burned to just get into the theater at the next one. But um, yeah, I don't know. Gem of the Holograms seems like the only one that uh, American Ultra so obviously Ultra deserves definitely. a. Deserves to be on this list, but it's also, also the curious. Dave, as someone who is currently engaged in a lot of Star Wars, maybe you should see Strange Magic. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should. I, w- I, uh, I have not, so I have no idea what you'd be in for. I don't, I don't know if it's a bomb, but Run All Night made $26 million, and I thought it was pretty good. The uh, Liam Neeson thriller from earlier this year. And I, oh, I was telling Katie that um, Black. Uh, oh, shit. Now I'm going to forget. Black, not, ma- not Black Mass, not Black Hat. No. Black Sea? Black Sea, yes, Black Sea, uh, Jude Law's submarine movie from earlier this year that no one saw apparently because it only made like one point three million dollars. That is a that's a great little taut little thriller. I thought it was really fun and it's beautiful and has a great score. Can't believe no one saw this movie. I guess it came out in January and that's what happens to January movies. But see that. Oh, and um, 
Oh, crap. I just had it, and now I scrolled past it, and I forgot. Oh, Clouds of Sils Maria, a really great movie that I watched on VOD, which is maybe a lot of people didn't, why it's so low on this list. It made less than Game of Thrones IMAX. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm looking at that now. So did Diary of a Teenage <laughs> Girl. So oh, many God. sad movies. 99 Homes. Yeah. Nope. No one, everyone just went to see Game of Thrones and IMAX. There are a lot of uh, great movies that are very easily accessible in VOD that, uh, you know, hopefully someday they will release VOD numbers and these movies won't look like such goddamn disasters uh, in the context of lists like this. Because I, I assume a lot of people have seen a lot of these on VOD. But anyway, Clouds of Sils Maria is great. That's it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back later this week. Guess what we're finally reviewing? Can you guess? Um, Jupiter Ascending 2. <laughs> Game of Thrones IMAX. Uh, we're finally going to talk about Carol. So have that look. look Carol cast. Part 1. Carol. Yeah, it's going to be a three-part series on Bad Carol. So uh, have out your, uh, your fact sheet. So it'll be a quiz at the end. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I'm the entertainment editor of Thrillist.com, and I am on Twitter at Mr. Patches, and we have a website, FightingInTheWarRoom.com, where we post all the episodes. You can find backlogged episodes, which people were doing. We mentioned earlier that uh, that is the place to find all our old episodes, and you can share them and comment and, and do everything. It's a wonderful hub, FightingInTheWarRoom.com. I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell my first name DA70, which is my Twitter handle. I write at geek.com and latinohavingreview.com and work on a reality TV show that it will be coming next year unless it blows up in my face. You can also find the rest of us on uh, Facebook at Facebook slash Fighting in the War Room, where you can let us know how much you disagree with us through long, thoughtful blog posts like a listener did recently, which is definitely the best use of fighting on Facebook that I've seen on our page. So yeah. now the bar's been set. Go meet it. Yeah, we uh, we accept all kinds of dissent, especially when it comes in the form of long and thoughtful blog posts, because I like it when people think about things we say. Um, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com. And on the Little Gold Men podcast, which as mentioned previously, is all about award season. Things are heating up. It's going to be fun. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H, and all of us on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, that's Fitwer where you can talk to us or answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Krampus, what's the scariest moment from a holiday movie? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back caroling at you on Friday. Na, 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 na. <laughs>